Devin, how about those Cowboys? How about those Cowboys? Let, let's talk about that. That game last night was, boy, I don't even, I watched like the first half of it. And then I just, you know, I'm just like, I don't need to watch the rest of it. I just went to bed. You just went to bed <laughs> in full bliss. I did. I tell you what did not help me is that I think CD lamb only got seven points in that, yeah. in that particular game, which is like fine, but it's not what I drafted. Devin, it's not what I drafted. <laughs> so we're doing, we're doing the fancy football pivot, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of space in the fantasy football oh, market. So much space. I don't know if you've ever tried to break into it, but um, maybe someone on this podcast has before. <laughs> Instead of the dive down podcast, we can call it the touchdown podcast. The touchdown. Oh man, the first down. We we have various segments. So, there's a lot of downs. Oh man, there's so it's many. True. Yeah, I mean, hope hope all you who celebrate the fantasy football season are enjoying your first week or lamenting all of your life choices that led up to the first week. As usual. Yeah, Dave and I were yes. talking about this before. I have uh, I'm up 24. My opponent has the Buffalo rookie tight end Kincaid and Josh Allen left. So. We'll have to see what happens with the game tonight. If Ooh. it even uh, apparently there's some weather warnings, but we'll have, we'll have to see. They said that um, uh, that one quarterback for the Packers, what's his name? Jordan Love. No, the old one. No, the the one of oh, the Jets. The Jets now. Right. The, the, former, the Aaron, ayahuasca guy. Yeah, Aaron. Yeah, ayahuasca <laughs> guy. Apparently, uh, he's already off the field after 20 seconds. What? He got, he, yeah, really? he got, a, got a got a bad sack. Oh, the game oh. started. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. Hey, Blanco Nino. <laughs> Too bad your butt got sacked. (laughs) Hello and welcome to episode 240 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Shane here in Denver, Colorado. With me on the line from Massachusetts, it's the one and only Devin O'Donnell, a.k.a. Doomwake. I haven't been here in a while. How you guys been? It feels like forever. Yeah. Every time. Uh, I'm, I'm fine. It's, it's becoming fall here in Denver. The leaves are starting to turn. The footballs are starting to throw. More importantly, the footballs. <laughs> yeah. How's everything for you? It's been good. Doing a lot of streaming. Doing a lot yeah. of uh, weekend tournaments, which we may or may not talk about later today. It's been uh, hopefully it's been they're in the fun. notes. If oh, we skip those. We're that'd be definitely weird. talking about it because yeah, there's no show without that, Devin. <laughs> so I hope I hope you're ready to talk about yourself for a little bit. I'm yeah. down. Uh, that's the Godfather, Dave Harburger, with us from Chicago. David, yeah. how are you? I'm here. We did it <laughs> that again, good, huh? Another week. I just had the longest weekend ever. In a good or bad way? It was fun, but like trying to trying to just hang out with a lot of people as people are back from summer vacation. Everybody wants to hang out guys. I went and played oh. some commander this weekend <laughs> again. I went and played some commander at an LGS this weekend. Look at Devin's <sighs> face. Devin's like, I can't even. Wow. I will say I, I do have two commander decks as well. So let's hear it. All right. Give me the commanders. We won't go too deep. Uh, this one, Tevish and Timna. And then the the one that makes the one four black red guy that makes treasures i think it's called like prosper or something i think that's what it is mm-hmm. but the, those are the two decks yeah i have ken from street fighter heck yeah and i have light paws are the two that i i made uh, and i got destroyed and um <laughs> it was really lovely to hang out with one of my one of my son's schoolmates dads who's very into commander 
So I went down the LGS to meet him and played with some of his friends and they're very nice people. I, I, I don't get commander. I don't get it. <laughs> I don't get it. I'm sorry. Well, when we pivot into our sister podcast, uh, the EDH down or something like that, then you'll, you'll have to learn more, Dave. So it's going to be a fantasy football and EDH podcast, yes. right? And, and movie movies. Oh, right. Movie uh, reviews. Uh, for, uh, yeah. We watch an entire over your, over your, of a single director. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of space for all those podcasts. EDH, fantasy football, and, and movie critique from mm-hmm. three talking head dudes. <laughs> you know, Dave, I, I will have to say, I have, I'll let you down. I, I told you at the end of the last episode that I was going to watch some kind of monster, and I haven't gotten around to it. Oh, <laughs> I need to. I need to. I, I do think you need to. Shane, have you seen some kind of monster? No. Besides you, the one in my dream last you've night. You've never seen that Metallica documentary? No, I know. I, we've, we've talked about oh. how I should see it, and you like it very oh. much. I think it lives in your head rent-free, as they say. It does. There's, an inc- there's incredible moments between Lars Ulrich and his father that really cannot be missed. But Speaking of incredible moments. Between someone's and their father's. Yes, you can have some incredible moments at your LGS, your next tournament, by using heavy play card gaming accessories improves your gameplay and your game day, as we like to say. That rhymed. I did not intend for that to rhyme. Uh, Their playmats, deck boxes, and card sleeves feature enhanced ergonomics, enhanced mobility, enhanced protection. Of course, the big sell here is the EquipMag system. It allows you to attach all your deck and dice boxes together. You can attach those to your playmat. You carry it all in a single hand. You just kind of slide the unit into your backpack nice and cleanly, whatever you want to do. Uh, what I really like is, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, I think, is the ability, you can basically create your own multi-deck carrying thing where you sort of like snap a couple decks around like one of the deck one of the dice boxes you don't have to figure out hey are, are my is my cool d20 are my cool d6s in this case i gotta move the cards around you just grab what you need to and go you can get this stuff over at heavyplay.com you can use code the dive down 2023 for 10% off your first order and i believe it's also coming soon if not already, at your LGS. So go over to heavyplay.com, use code thedivedown2023, and that lets Randy over to HeavyPlay know that you heard about him through us. But let's talk about this week's show. We have stuff from Wilds of Eldraine. These cards are doing things in Pioneer, they're doing things in Modern. So we're going to talk about what is popping up on our radar, on the Twitter radar, uh, at the, in the 5-0 lists, the, champion, uh, the challenges, things like that. Kind of what our thoughts are about some of these cards and decks, and hopefully what has some staying power after our initial tests and tests in the field. Uh, Devin's back, as we mentioned. He's going to take us through some of his initial testings of new cards, especially in Pioneer. But we also have a nice, um, we'll just call this the breakdown section, where Devin's going to talk about his recent success in Modern. Weird. Devin playing Modern. Weird. I know, right? Uh, Mono Black Coffers, the latest deck of choice. But successful wherever he goes. That's what I want to underline. Devin successful wherever he goes even in his fandom of the cowboys as we mentioned (laughs) after week one it's true that week one game has to be the most embarrassing loss that i've ever seen in a week one like dallas rivalry game it's got to be up there wow 
calling him out. I don't have a take on that, but I, I agree with you. I mean, forty to zero is a lot. <laughs> That's a high score. I did watch the uh, I did watch the Browns Bengals game Ooh. for our for our Battle of Ohio, by the way. And uh, neither of the teams that I'm particularly interested in anymore. But wow, did Cincinnati look bad? Ah, uh, wow. Browns defense. Browns defense is legit. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. First, we're going to do some housekeeping. Oh, perfect. Thank you, Dave. Want to say thank you to three new patrons we had this week. We have JJW, which is someone who is just letters, apparently. JJW, (laughs) thank you for for, uh, joining. JJW. Porter B and David A. David, welcome to the David crew. Hit me up on uh, Discord (laughs) if you want to talk with the other Davids. Is that perhaps JJ Watt? (sighs) He's got a lot of time on his hands. Never know. He has retired. I mean, those sports people like spending their money on expensive magic cards. It's just Hunter Pence. Well, it's, that's, that's a sports person. Yeah, that's a now sports we have two. person. J.J. Well, Watt. You think he'd be more than like a dollar patron, J.J. Yeah. Watt. Oh, this is not... No, J.J.W., by the way, big ups. Not, not an entry-level yes. patron, J.J.W. Thank you so much, J.J.W. Thanks, Dubs. Um, so, if you would like to support us on Patreon... Check us out at patreon.com slash the dive down. You can leave a review on iTunes. If you want to, you can answer questions on Spotify. If you want to get up in there oh, yeah. and talk to us, uh, you can answer a question like the pre-filled question. That is, what did you think about this episode is attached to every single episode on Spotify now. So get in there and make some answers. If you'd like us to see them, I read all of those responses. Um, you can also support us via buying merchandise on our store at thedivedown.com slash store. It's fall. Get a hoodie. Get a hat. Get it get a knit cap. We have the dive down knit caps. They're there for you. Tokes. Yeah, they call them tokes over in the UK. If you would like to check out Mana Traders, Mana Traders is the rental service that I used to rent the deck that I played this week and a deck that I didn't quite get to play, but I still have it rented and sitting (laughs) in my in my accounts and I will go back and play it after this. That is mantraders.com. Use code the dive down 2023. Nope. To the, get... the, the, this is our new code, Dave. Oh, I'm sorry. The dive down 23. The dive down 23. Just 23. Use code the dive down 23 to get 10% off your first two weeks, first two months of Mana Traders rentals. Perfect. Great. And, and I really man. stuck the landing on that. Yeah, that's perfect. We got Paris <laughs> Room Man, uh, our friends with soaps and shaving soaps and fragrances and more. Use code the dive down 23 there as well for 15% off your first order. And then our friends over at NRG give our listeners 8% off their online orders with the code dive eight. And that's it. That's it. That's the intro. Okay. We're going to break our discussion of Wilds of Eldraine and just kind of magic in general this week into two buckets. We're going to talk about modern. And then we're going to talk about pioneer. Everybody on board with that? Both ways to play magic in one episode? Yeah, exactly. Both ways. Both ways to play magic, uh, except for commander. Check out our new podcast, The Command Down. Get to the chopper if if you'd like to. (laughs) So, Devin. Dave. Let's uh, let's talk about mono black coffers if we're going to talk about a little bit of modern. Sweet. So, I think we should do that. I really, before we dive into this, I just mm-hmm. want to say, since you haven't been on the show in a few weeks, I want to say congratulations for winning challenge a couple weeks ago. Well, thank you. I don't know if I've ever spoken to a challenge winner so close to when they <laughs> won a challenge. So, congrats to you. It's an uh, honor. I hope I, it was a good run. Definitely watched that that top four as as closely as I could. Um, ended up switching between you and Spike at different moments. I really thought it was going to happen. 
where it was going to be you versus Everett against each been, other. God, that would have been so good. The, the streamer finals. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I couldn't tell. I was watching the finals, and I think you took game one, and then like you go to sideboarding, and I didn't have the audio on when you went back into the second game, and I was like, you looked kind of behind, like early on. I don't know if you remember this, because you play a lot of games. But then like, I just, you were just like, they just conceded. Like, I don't remember what you did. Did you like play like a gigantic walking ballista or something and like clear their board? Like, I don't even remember what the heck happened that just let you take over the game so conclusively. So that game, I think I remember that game. I was behind most of the game and there was a sequence where I had to like go very low and I had to like bowmaster to kill a blocker, um, like, you know, chump block a couple of creatures and then hope to to like ring into damnation, which I like I was able to barely survive ring, rip the damnation, kill their board. Eventually, I think I found like a march to stabilize, gain a bunch of life. But yeah, that, I was behind a lot of that game. And that's the thing about this deck is you have a lot of comeback mechanics or comeback tools, the ways to you know get back in the game. And that's what I like so much about it. Sweet. All right. Now that we've gotten a tiny spoiler, this is why you should stay. Devin, <laughs> you've been playing a lot of mine black coffers lately. I have. I have. What's so up? what's up with that? <laughs> so there was the challenge, which was pre Wilds of Eldraine. That was the, the challenge that I won. And then the week after this past Saturday, this past Sunday. So yesterday I played a super qualifier for, uh, you know, against my better judgment. I played 10 rounds of magic online. Uh, I don't know why I did that, but I ended up going eight and two in that event. So combined between. So in total, the challenge, the super qualifier and a league. That's where I started it. <laughs> Funny enough, this actually all started from somebody who submitted a dono deck and they did a dono deck for coffers, but with the troll. And I was like, okay, this looks interesting enough. Five owed the league. And then just like, you know, been refining it since then. Awesome. But combined all three of those 22 and three across those three events. Dang. Yeah. The deck is like, I don't, I don't know what it is because I thought this was mostly a meme deck at first. Like when I saw, I think I was like spike was the first person I saw playing it. And I thought to myself, how is this better than just playing Tron or any sort of other big mana deck? And I think that's what a lot of people assume when they kind of look at the deck on first glance. But the more you play with it, you realize, and, you know, Dave and I can have a discussion on what we want to classify this deck is. It's it's a mid-range deck, okay? It is a mid-range deck that at the end of the day, you are playing with Thoughtseize, Fatal Push, you know, creatures. It, it is a mid-range deck, and that's what makes it so good. You have a mid-range deck that has this insane late game that can just go over the top of everybody. Devin, I don't know if I'm ever going to recover from this, because Stan is going to hear this <laughs> Maybe. And, and yell at me about it. Although, I will say... This deck is constructed now is is kind of different from the other one that we talked about a, a month ago or so where we were talking about control versus mid-range or whatever. And hey, it's all a spectrum anyway, right? We're all <laughs> we're all doing different roles and different things that we do and that and that's fine. That's cool. And and I control the edit this week, so I, I can I can make Devin say whatever I want. True. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Devin, can you can you say read read the word I have written here that says control so I can splice that in. Right. Right. Mid-range. <laughs> Okay, so anything notable from the matchups that you've had across all of these leagues that you want to talk about? Because I know we talked about the combined um, combined record, but you're also keeping track of individual matches. I can see here in the notes. So what what was what stands out to you from this? Well, six and one against Rhinos. I don't know if Shane wanted me to say that on the don't podcast, believe his lies. <laughs> <laughs> I, do, I do think the deck is uh, is is quite favored against Rhinos. Um, Sagavon three, and zero. one thing, I mean, that that's, you know, you're 
Sagavan is, a pr- I think, a pretty easy matchup because you, you know, they're a mid-range deck at heart, but they don't have the ability to go over the top like you do. So mm-hmm. you're kind of just like trading with trading blows for each other and then or with each other the first couple of turns, and then you play a coffers and they can't win. Um, Tron 3-0, which I was very shocked at. I thought the Tron matchup was going to be atrocious because they they're like one of the few decks in the format that can go bigger than you. But I will say playing, you know, seven or eight Field of Ruins does does help a lot because you can just kind of like try to keep them off kilter for a little bit. And then the turn that you don't field them, you finally just go coffers Karn. And then that's kind of a big turn um, Two and 0 against scam Two and 0 against Merktide. I think those are eh, close ish matchups, but, you know, kind of caught some breaks there past that. Nothing too crazy. The rest of these are there. You know, there's not a ton of sample sizes. And at the end of the day, it, it, these are small sample sizes. This is just from those three events, by the way. Okay. That's a lot of rhinos across yes. 25 matches for what it's worth. Uh, interesting. Yeah, I think rhinos might be one. Rhinos has to be one of the more, probably the most played deck online right now. I play against really? a lot. Yeah. Hmm. Especially in the big events. I think people gravitate, gravitate towards it in those bigger events. All right. So we, we did talk about this deck like before the Pro Tour when we were talking about the emergence of blue blue black control and this deck and then i forget the deck that shane talked about that in a particular episode so why don't we talk about what's maybe changed about this deck over the last six weeks because it's it's a not insignificant number of cards that have kind of moved around and then i'd love to talk about what you think about the individual cards as well kind of where where you're coming from when you're playing them right exactly now i'm just going to pull up my challenge list because the challenge list is a little bit different than the one from yesterday and just give me a second to pull this. Uh, uh, it's four cards different. So again, when I won the challenge, we didn't have access to the Wild Spell Drain cards. Mm-hmm. So the new additions. Well, I guess we can. We'll just go over the card. We can kind of just go over some of these sort of one by one because they're not the most. Like some of these aren't the most. Uh, like not a lot of people play these cards. Like, and specifically, I want to start with the Troll of Kazadoom. Right. You know, as we mentioned earlier, the a lot of coffers lists that I look at, a lot of them sometimes have Knight's Whisper in this spot or some sort of other card draw spell like that. But the reason I like this card so much is what happens in a lot of people don't realize this, and they kind of conceptualize cards in deck list in the best possible scenario. Like, what does this look like if my draw is firing on all cylinders, right? So you talk about like curving up perfectly, like thoughts ease into a two drop, into a three drop and, and go from there. But the thing about magic is that doesn't always happen. You know, your draw fails sometimes. And the, the, the best part about troll is it's kind of good in both stages of those where you can cycle it early if you need a land drop. And then later in the game with Cabal Coffers, you have an abundance of mana and, you know, you just have a six five. So literally magic is Garfield intended. <laughs> Basically, you know, yeah. cycling, cycling early option late. Option early, option late. Yeah, I mean, the thing that really stands out to me about this card being picked up in this deck is that going hand-in-hand hand with Lorian Reveal being picked up in so many different blue decks for reasons that are sort of below the surface about the card in a lot of ways, are, are all of these search cycle cards just better and more playable than we thought? Like, are we going to start... Is there any chance that we start seeing people just playing Generous Ent in, like, other random lists other than uh, other than living end for example is there a chance that the white card gets picked up in lists at some point you know if there's like a pitch card synergistic white list that emerges eventually are these cards just all better than we thought 
I mean, I definitely have heard people talking about like their testing. I remember people like I, I listened to a few podcasts where, you know, post pro tour, you know, people who had like guests on and stuff like that, talking about their testing. And they were like, yeah, we just, you know, we ran decks with some of these, these cyclers in them. And I know, I know some people have been testing them in, in certain amounts. I think that there are options here, right. Where it's just like, Hey, this is a good card and land cycling in a format like modern is really good. Have you done any experimentation or seen any kind of surprising stuff with the cyclers, uh, Devin? So I haven't, done a ton myself but i have seen so i remember you guys talked about the tron deck that played generous Ent a couple weeks ago so there was that there was that aspect uh dom harvey played generous Ent at amulet of the pro tour i've seen scam decks that have incorporated both troll and oliphant and kind of like this persist package where if you play like max oliphants and trolls you can then make your deck a persist deck while also you know just kind of shaving on lands and you get higher spell count for the pitch cards so I, I've kind of honestly seen all of them except the white one, but I mm -hmm. also just think that the most popular white decks are Hammer Time, and it's like Hammer Time's never going to get the six mana to cast that right. thing. Right, no home for that. How how many lands do you get? You think you get to shave for playing this card? For example, if if you weren't if you were playing Knight's Whisper over Troll in this particular list, what what do you think that swap would be? Well, most Cabal Coffers list that I've seen play somewhere between 26 and 27 lands, and I've decided to go with 23 plus the three trolls. So I guess you could say that I kind of shaved a land sort of, although mm -hmm. I think personally, even if I wasn't playing troll, I'd still probably only play 26 lands. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of just like a straight up one for one. I just got three lands for three trolls. That's fascinating to me. That's that's something I think people should keep in mind as they're starting to you know, brew and modern and also have more sets emerge from here. But yeah, cool. I mean, troll is definitely a cool part of the list that you have and, and kind of where you were at and what your, you know, as you mentioned, one of your, one of your subscribers supplied to you in a, in a donation. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Big shout out, big shout out. And yeah, the other thing that, uh, the troll, so it's kind of weird because it does kind of mess up your draws sometimes where if you're trying to cur like you do have games where you're like, you want to turn one thoughtsies, turn two Bowmaster, And then like, sometimes it kind of messes up your curve. But also with the addition of Talisman, if you need to hit a land drop, you can just go Talisman on two and then use the mana from the Talisman to cycle the troll. And there's your land drop on turn three. And then you get four mana and go, go from there. Should should we talk about Talisman next? There's other cards in your list, but do you want to talk about Talisman by itself really quickly? Because you did run between last week when you won and this week with the new list. And there's another reason for that. So we don't have to get into a new card if you don't want to. But Talisman or Resilience is yep. in your deck. And so people remember that's the Golgari Talisman. Are we just out here running talismans now in our decks? Couple just of decks are. Well, so I, it's kind of weird because we, so you'll see, you'll notice in the notes, I kind of, I kind of put them together and that's because we kind of need to talk about one if we're going to talk about the other. So the, the package deal here is two talisman. And I will say, uh, I, I messed up the talismans. They should be split for engineered explosive purposes. Initially in my head, I played the Golgari one because I thought I was going to sideboard Haywire Might. But then I was like, eh, I can't really activate it on two green sources, so it wasn't worth it. But I just forgot to change the talismans. Mm. Um, but the new card here from Wilds of Eldraine, Beseech the Mirror, which is, I think, probably the card that had the most hype surrounding it when the set came out. And it still appears to be that because I think it's the most expensive card by a lot. It is, although I have something to add to that list later. We, we might want to compare prices because stuff went wild mm. over the weekend, Devin. Okay. But... Yeah. Well, I was told so somebody I think I was at FNM when Spike made the tweet about Beseech being bad or something like that. And somebody told me that, like, I think Beseech tanked like twenty dollars right after Spike tweeted that or something. 
God, he moves markets. I know. Oh, yeah. That's wild. <laughs> but more, anyway. More often two- when something's good. <laughs> right, right. And that's what we'll talk about in a moment. But but the so Besiege plus Talisman. Yes, this so, is this is the package deal. So Besiege the Mirrors, uh, for those of you who don't know, it's black, black, black one, sorcery, bargain. Uh bargain means you can sack an artifact, enchantment, or token. If you cast the spell, if you bargained it, you get to search your library. Well, first of all, you search your library for any card, no restrictions. If you bargained it, if that spell is four mana or less, you can play it for free. So, well, not only does talisman talisman's perfect for this because it ramps you into a turn three beseech so you can go turn two talisman turn three four mana with you know three lands in the talisman it had it gives you an artifact to sacrifice to the bargain which means you can just go you know sacrifice the talisman get a ring play it for free so that's very powerful now what i kind of learned after playing this package deal because you kind of you you don't really want to play beseech unless you have the talismans because you just need more fodder to bargain but one thing I kind of learned when I was playing this is I, I question why we didn't just play talismans all along. Like the deck is playing 10 four drops. Why? Like, how would nobody thought of these talismans before? Because you just go turn two talisman, turn three ring. And that's really good. You know? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. You don't see a lot of mana rocks in modern, but maybe there's space for a couple in these control decks that can really, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well no i thought you were talking about blue black because the blue black decks the same thing right because it plays shield red ring all the right. subtlety you know what i mean right. so like maybe people should just be playing more talismans I don't just know. a couple of them that's what i learned but here's the thing that that struck me when i was reading you talking about beseech in the um before we got on this call before we got on the to record this episode i was looking at this list and i was thinking a little bit about like okay well when you you know you mentioned that you get to run a package of kind of one ofs occasionally as part of Beseech being here. So you can shave on a Damnation. You know, you can shave maybe on some other pieces of removal. You don't have a ton of one-ofs in here in this particular list. But it it struck me a little bit like, is this kind of like bring to light, essentially, in this deck? Which is, I think, a little bit different because a lot of people, I think, were assuming that Beseech was only going to be part of Broken things or like trying to cheat, trying to do combos. And this is really just playing Beseech for value and optionality, right? Yeah, I think the reason it's so good in this deck is because this is probably the best ring deck in the entire format. It's one that you just have an overabundance of mana and we have life gain cards that we'll get to in a second. Mm-hmm. Um, but for those for all of those reasons, I think this might be the deck that utilizes ring the best and just having more copies of that. Like now, if you effectively think about it, you have three rings, four Karns, and two Beseeches. You're, de- you're like, the odds that you're going to ring on turn three or turn four are extremely high. Well, maybe not turn three as much because you need Talisman, but like on turn four, most of the time, you're going to have a ring. Right. And right. that's kind of the important part. And yeah, like I ended up shaving, I think the cards that I cut from the challenge list, like I'm, I'm pulling it up right here. So I cut a Blood Chief's Thirst, a Cling to Dust, a Damnation, and the extra land. I had 24 lands plus the three trolls in the challenge list. So those were the four cards that I cut for two Talismans, two Besieges. Um, It's kind of weird, too, because there were a couple of spots where I did kind of want the second Damnation, and not just like because that I, I wanted to just like draw it, but I had used it early, and I just kind of needed it, you know, to Besiege for it later on. So, you know, it, there are downsides to going to one copy, but... Um, and children also extremely important. Another card that you can beseech into with the ring and all right. that. Right. And you're only running two of those in this, this list too. So it is sort of like a search target in that sense too, because you, you don't draw into it as much as some of the other cards. 
I, I know this is not the order that you have your cards in, but I think in terms of like the order that we're talking about, it's like, I think the, the one ring has had a little bit of a journey, right? Where it's like, I think it came out of the gates, people really afraid of it, it trying to be slotted into a number of decks. I think most of those decks have gone back somewhat to some of their original builds. Some have kept it. How is the one ring feeling for you it sounds like you want to be playing this on turn three turn four and just getting max value out of it drawing a bunch of cards is it is it kind of like where you're at with it in this deck is this like the ideal play or is like car the ideal play or uh i mean as far as like is as far as just my general thoughts on the ring i think it's the best card in the format i don't i don't think it's close it's wow. just a broken card Still. It is like, yeah, I just, I don't know. Every time I play with and against it, I'm just like, how did they, how did they print this card? Like what? There's so many things they could have done and we can, you know, that's a whole other episode. Other thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like the, the card is just so good again, because with Cabal Coffers and Urborg in tandem, you just have an, a, an abundance of mana in, in so many different spots. And I think that's what makes it so powerful is just like finding ways to utilize those extra cards. And the really cool thing about this deck, too, is you have all of those cheap cards, too. So, you know, we talked about how this deck is like can kind of play like a mid range deck. Well, if you have ring and you're like, let's say you, you have ring, but you don't have coffers and you have like, you know, four or five mana, you get to play a four drop. And then you can always use that leftover mana because you have so many one drops to cast. And that's kind of where, you know, there's, there's other stuff, other one drops, too. Um, but, yeah, I, I think this is th- this is probably the best ring deck in my experience. Yeah, I, I've. And then my next question was Shieldred. Like, you know, you mentioned having the uh, availability of tutoring her up with Besiege Samir. And I've seen some highlights when Demir was being played a little bit more, with which of course also features the One Ring and Shieldred. And once you have a Shieldred and the One Ring in play, the game is trivial, it seems. Yeah, yeah, easily. Yeah, I mean, once you, you know, if you if you have children in play and you activate the ring and you're able to gain, you know, four or six life or, or whatever and uh, five toughness, kind of a lot, you know, there's like yeah. lightning bolt doesn't touch it. Fury doesn't touch it. Blocks rhinos. I know Shane loves me to tell talk about rhinos. So Shh, don't tell people shielded is good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's wild. The, the trick that I pulled when I was playing shielder in the one ring a bunch of times was like you get to your turn where the upkeep trigger goes and then you activate the ring in response to the trigger. So you gain the life from Shieldred from the extra card and then you take the extra damage. Sure, that's fine. But you give yourself all, you give yourself that extra, you know, point of life, that extra card and stuff right, right there. And um, yeah, it's a, it's powerful synergy for sure. Yeah. And um, so I I know we're kind of jumping around a little bit, but let's talk about Bowmaster here. Okay. So, um, because we, we kind of went through the, uh, the beseech and the talisman. So I have four copies of Orcish Bowmaster and I had it both in the challenge list and the, um, super qualifier list. And I've seen a lot of cabal coffers decks that don't play the full four copies of this now, even now, So with the, uh, beseech the mirror, like it does give you more reason to have the token because you need a token to sacrifice. So a very common play pattern is you'll play Bowmaster and you'll maybe pick something off and then you'll use the token to be able to beseech it away. Um, but it's just like the card itself is just so good. Like it, it yeah. it's two bodies. It kills a creature. You can like you, you get this the chump blockers and stuff. It's just I don't know. I, I, I can't imagine playing a coffer deck without four copies. And it, it still seems wild to me that people don't want to play four. It's just one of the best two drops in modern. 
yeah. right? Like, I mean, by far, by far, by far. Yeah, I mean, we we certainly were not convinced coming into the set coming out, but it is an incredible card and it does a lot of stuff. And I I don't know why you would play a mono black deck or any deck that has black in it and not play a play set of them. I can't imagine there's that many better cards. Yeah, and then so I guess we can we'll we'll talk about the next card here because another kind of sort of not really a combo with it, but March of Wretched Sorrow. Uh, and Bowmaster gives you another body for the March of Wretched Sorrow. The full four copies of this card. And I think, you know, again, a lot of coffers decks I see, I, I've seen some that don't play four, some play like two or three copies. But what's really important about this card in the coffers decks is when you have the ring going, you really can find yourself in spots where you just need to gain a little bit of life. And mm-hmm. just being able to do it, you know, if you have if you have a coffers or two in play and you just be able to like tap the ring a couple of times while you're getting pressured. I played against burn a couple of times and there were just spots where I would just filter a bunch of mana into coffers when they like tap out end of turn for a burn spell and they're going shields down on skull crack. And it's just, I don't know, cat pitch my entire hand and gain 20 life. They can't win. But a lot of times it just kind of comes up with, with the ring and stuff. And what's really important about like specifically Bowmasters with that is it gives you an extra body. So you can go like play Bowmaster, get two bodies block with one of them and then use the other body to like, weird spots where you like untap ring trigger on the stack, march my own guy to gain life to not die and do stuff like that. So the life game is just massively important and you're drawing a bunch of cards off ring, which means you might just have a bunch of stuff to pitch to it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this card, I, I would just point out really quickly. It doesn't matter. This is one of those ones where it's not worded to say that only the damage that actually gets dealt to the creature or only resolves on the creature is what you gain life for. You gain life for whatever you pump into it. So whatever target you can find, whatever card you can find to target with this, like Devin said, you can gain 20 life if you can pump enough mana into it, even if you hit a 1-1 with it. So it totally makes sense. It's it's kind of like drain life. If you remember like way back in the day and like yep. mono black like decks that played Necro played that. Yeah, sure. Necro helped you with that. It's 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 a great considering that people kind of have compared the one ring to Necro a bunch of times, like drain life. This this is your drain life, totally. Do you think that the, the ability to gain life from Marsh, the ability to gain life from Shieldred, it, does that give this deck kind of outs that you wouldn't have otherwise? Where it's like, hey, I can just I can just keep grabbing cards with this one ring because I know I can make up for it with these two cards specifically. Oh yeah. Just, just tap it every turn. You'll, you'll eventually figure it out. Like the thing is, Oh, one th- other thing that I forgot to mention about beseech with the bargain, you can sack ring to it. So that, that, that comes up as well. If you just like, if you're going too deep on a ring, you can eventually find it. But yeah, between like, you know, you have enough copies of the ring between the ring itself, Karn and beseech to sacrifice it. And then you have the life game with March of wretched sorrow uh, even cling to dust. Like there's been spots where I've gone a little bit too deep on ring and I just find the cling and I have extra mana with my herb, with my coffers and I can just like cling escape cling gain six and then go from there. So you do have a lot of life gain. Wow. Anything else you want to talk about on the interaction suite here? So you just talked about cling to dust and blood chiefs thirst. There's also two shieldred's edicts and four thought seize, four push. I mean, a lot of this stuff feels kind of like what you would expect in a black deck, but, but what do you, anything you want to say about the particular like composition of your interaction suite right now? Uh, thought seize push. I don't, you know, we, we probably don't need to spend time on those. If you're playing black, you should play thought seize, fatal push. Those cards are great. The right. uh, shield roads edicts though. Those are, um, you know, so I think some lists play like one or two. So I've seen, I, I think I've actually seen four copies before, but I don't know if I'd play four. 
but it's nice because it's instant speed. It gets planeswalkers and it gets like these getting creature tokens. It just like the fact that it can kill kind of anything. And it, the one also important thing is it gets around Veil of Summer. So post board, if you like edict their Teferi and they they have Veil of Summer, they you know they can't really do that. Yeah, because uh, it says each opponent, which is very very important. Uh, it's a way to kill big Merktide regents that you weren't able to kill. Uh, kills Grist against Yawgmoth, which is huge. Just like a very, very, very solid card. Yeah, totally agree. I played against it in Pioneer this week, and it, it was <laughs> never ceased to amaze as well, even even there. And then I, I think that's pretty much it. I, get, I mean, we can we could touch in the the Blood Chief's Thirst cling to dust. Blood Chief's Thirst is like it's not. It, it's kind of just your fifth fatal push. You know, you'd probably play four or five fatal pushes if you could. Um, but they only let you play four copies of a card, unfortunately. And then the cling to dust, we kind of went into that, why it's so good. Um, just being able to like, just having stuff that you can use your excess mana because you do generate a boatload of mana sometimes when you have coffers going and just being able to like use, you turn that into cards to help you find more, more rings to keep going off or the life gain that we talked about when you're going off with ring. Very, very important um, with the, uh, with the cling to dust. Awesome. The other interesting thing I saw about this is that in the, um, the super qualifier, the person who I think was in first place coming out of the Swiss was also on coffers. Yep. Is that right? Underscore STN underscore pulling up their list right now. So we could take a I, look at how different it is. I think this might I be, I don't think it's very different. <laughs> no, I think this is very close to the challenge list. They're on 24 lands with the three trolls. Uh, they have two thirst two cling. The only difference is they cut the two damnations for a night's whisper and a shield retreat, but everything else is different or everything yeah. else is the same. Excuse me. Yeah. So, I mean, there's there's a couple other people playing this to, to result as well. Just worth mentioning that it's not just how awesome Devin is at playing magic that's making the deck good. There are other people doing it, too. Deck's busted. Uh, w- yeah, I was going to say, w- what do you think is the main thing that gives it good matchups right now? I, I'm going pu- to take a guess, and I think that that is this is just the best one-ring deck, because you kind of mentioned that earlier. But is that, is that the bottom line about what's good about this deck right now? It's the best one-ring deck going? So that is definitely part of it. But one thing that I, you know, that I really love about this deck and kind of like the the classification of it, we were joking about it earlier, you know, whether we want to call it a control deck or a mid-range deck. But the reality is it's both. It's everything. Like you have the ability to play these kind of, you know, early interactive games where you're pushing and thoughts easing and, and all this stuff. Like if you look at the amount of one mana spells you have, you have four push, four thoughts, ease, two clank, two thirst, and three troll. You have a million things to do on turn one, and subsequently you have a million things to do on turn two because you can double spell on turn two. Mm. And there's not many, there's not many four Karn, four one ring decks that get to say they can double spell on turn two. And I think just that pure efficiency of all these cards. And to be completely honest with you, when you're going off with ring and drawing all these cards, it doesn't really matter what spells you're you're casting in the first couple of turns, as long as you're doing anything meaningful and interacting in in any sort of meaningful way, once you resolve the ring, the game is over. You know what I mean? And it's Mm -hmm. that that's the truth with this deck and just any, anything that trades for any piece of cardboard in the early turns, really good with the ring. And I think that's what I love so much about it. And the one other thing that I will mention, if you're listening to this podcast and you have blood moon on your sideboard, do not bring it in against cabal coffers. Because they're the amount of times I actually think that people who board in Blood Moon make my win percentage better. Like the scam players mm. who brought in Blood Moon against me. Because what happens is post board, you know, we can talk about the sideboard in a second, but post board, they kind of like mulligan to a fast Blood Moon because they think that it just shuts you out. They cast Blood Moon and you cast the One Ring. 
and then their yeah, deck just right. doesn't do anything. <laughs> right. Because right. you have, like, you're a deck that has eight swamps and three trolls. You're not going to get mana screwed off black. Right. So, yeah, yeah. don't bring in Blood Moon. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the other, of course, broadly speaking, that's the other thing that's good about those one mana cyclers is that they're good against one ring. But that is very interesting. I, I do think a lot of people would try Blood Mooning you, and yeah, it doesn't do much. Well, okay. I should say, I think if your deck is aggressive, if you have, like, if you're trying to use Blood Moon, to kind of sh- shut the door as it were if you're putting a lot of pressure on then i think it's fine but the issue is you know we talk about the sideboard there's four lane line of the voids in my sideboard and we'll, we'll talk about it you know that's kind of what my plan is against scam is to bring in lane line to not get fast scammed and as long as i'm not getting fast scammed my you know even my mid to late game is just going to be so much better than theirs because i have ring and they don't but yeah that's kind of we can we can move into the sideboard here it's relatively self-explanatory, the wish, the wishboard targets. So the, the sideboard right now is 11 wish targets and four ley lines. Very there simple you sideboard. You don't do a lot of sideboarding. But as far as the wish targets are concerned, the challenge, I played a Nihil Spellbomb, and I did not register a Walking Ballista. That was an error. <laughs> you mm. should play a Walking Ballista in your mm-hmm. card deck. That was on accident. So, you know, I kind of, I guess we did it on hard mode, right? With the challenge of hard mode. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's no kill, <laughs> no kill on the sideboard. Uh, and there, it was, it was kind of funny all day because Jack kept asking me like, Hey, why are you just getting a walking ballista when my opponent was at like two life and I had a Karn and I just, you know, just stared at them, you know, it was, it was yeah. really funny. Yeah. Uh, like, so I have was, this haste. I have a Bomat courier I can attack with. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll get that instead. Yeah. That was the swap from the challenge list. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, that's really the only difference there. A lot of people ask me why, but why no pithing needle? I don't actually think it's good against your bad matchups. Like I think you're favorite against Yawgmoth anyway, so I don't think you really need it. And uh, Renin Six, like you just you just don't care about those cards against four color. You just card mm-hmm. ring them out of the game. And then Leyline, we'll just talk about this very briefly because this card is very important uh, against you know one of the most important decks in the format, Scam. One thing that I will mention, not just Leyline of the Void, but just lay, uh, both Leylines, Void and Sanctity both incredible against scam. I think void slightly better because it shuts off uh, Kroxa. But the way that you need to interact with scam is you need to like, you have to assume that when you're on the draw, you need something to interact with them. And this is one of the only things that can do that. And it stops the top percentage of their draws. And as long as you're stopping the top percentage of their draws, you know, you, again, you should be able to assume that your mid game can kind of outgrind theirs. And that's why I like the ley lines that matchup. Yeah, your mid game is so much more efficient than red blacks mid mid game, you know, because they they rely we rely so hard on the like the scam part. And uh, if you don't have it, you don't have it. What I guess to close this out. So it sounds like you're kind of in on this deck. You're going to keep playing this deck like in for for the for, for the little bit. What what do you think would have to change in the meta to make you reconsider this being the deck that you feel like is where you want to be for the moment in modern? So as far as, uh, you know, it, from my experience, I think the tougher matchups are kind of the ones that are heavier counterspell decks. So control decks are not the best because they're, you know, littered with counterspells. Like I got destroyed by blue black a couple of times, the blue black mm-hmm. ring deck. So I think that matchup is not great. And living in surprisingly felt like a bad matchup just because like the only thing that you really have against them is Leyline. Living right. in is notoriously good against Thoughtseize because all of their cards cycle. So if you thought seize them and you take their cascade spell and their hand is four cyclers, they're just going to find another one. Like yeah. thought seize is not good against living end. So if they have an answer for your ley line, you basically just lose because your, your clock is too slow. So those matchups were tough. And you know, if those pick up in popularity, I could maybe see it, 
Um, maybe you could also adjust the flex spots accordingly, but yeah, up until then, I don't know. This deck just like, other than that, it doesn't really feel like it has any bad matchups. No bad matchups. You heard it here. <laughs> Mono black coffers. <laughs> Love it. I'm, I'm definitely not checking how much I need to spend to purchase the rest of the cards in this deck. Oh not my at all. gosh. Don't remind me. It's not a small oh, amount. Oh, I forgot how I, much Besiege the Mirror is right now. I looked at Urborg the other day and I just, ugh, I'm off it. That card is so expensive. I bought one for red black in Pioneer. Same. And I was like, oh, I don't want to pay $35 for this card, but I guess I will. Uh, but now you need four of them, Devin, yeah. for mono black cards. I'm somehow so. holding three, and one of them is Korean. I don't know mm-hmm. how I got that. I think actually I opened that in a, in referenced yesterday. I mean, referenced last <laughs> week, Scott K gave yeah. me, he just purchased me like a, whatever M15 or something that was in like, like Korean pack. And there's a, yeah, herb in it. I actually think I got you those packs. Was oh. it Scott? Thanks buddy. Appreciate it. All right. One of us. Anyway, let's talk about some other stuff in modern. Yes, please. Cause there is some other hype cards from woe and modern. Oh, there now, is. now I didn't get a chance to play. Uh, these because I spent a little time in Pioneer this week, but then kind of things went Twitter wild like they always do <laughs> on the weekend, on the release weekend. I think we have two things to really talk about in Modern that that are worth a little bit of discussion. Yes, love to hear Devin's experience playing against them or kind of seeing where it went. But first card we got to talk about is the card that I think is going up against Beseech the Mirror as the most expensive card in the set. Suddenly, by the way, and that's Agatha's Soul Cauldron. And and I will I will say. Uh, we we called I mean we called that this card was either going to be not much or potentially extremely powerful and I think it might be on the the latter half of things in terms of at least ap- application in the format. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, I mean, at the end of our preview episode, we both we both were kind of like, well, what do we think is going to be the most impactful card in the set? And we were like, well, the most played one is probably going to be not dead after all. Yeah, but the most impactful card is probably going to be Agatha's. Soul yeah. Cauldron, and, and turns out I think it might be. Yeah, although there's a little asterisk on that for after this. But. Yeah, this is the one I'm kicking myself because I was like, this is going to be a very expensive mythic, and yet I just was not enough of like I don't want to do the finance thing. Like I don't think I'm going to play this card. I'm not going to buy it just for the profits, and I still kind of wish I had. So yeah, I'll, I'll just I'll take a load off you here, Dave. I'll just read this card. I get the Soul Cauldron, two mana, legendary artifact. You may spend mana. This is a, a this is flavor text. You may spend mana as though were any ma- mana of any color to activate abilities of creatures you control. Then, creatures you control with plus one plus one counters on them have all activated abilities of all creature cards exiled with Agatha's Soul Cauldron. You can tap it to exile target card from a graveyard. When a creature card is exiled this way, put a 1-1 counter on target creature you control. So you see where this is going. Stuff. Yeah, it's a lot of places that it's going. Turns out it's a lot of places that it's going. Well, I mean, there's there's a lot of creatures with activated abilities. Who knew? I got destroyed by this card in the super qualifier yesterday. You know who I lost to? Claudio. Zerk. Oh, who, Zerk. You, who you mentioned in the notes. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, I, t- I, I, I actually added Zerk on, on, I guess we'll call it X or Twitter, whatever, who cares. But I added him on, uh, on Twitter and I was like, the only, you know, the Yawk matchup is good unless you're playing against exactly Zerk. And he just like, he played circles around me. He's an unbelievable player. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's start there for a minute because so we all thought this deck was going to, this card was going to show up. Turns out that Claudio, well-known Magic Online player as well, Claudio won this modern uh, super qualifier 
over the weekend with Yogg with three cauldrons in it. And Zerk was also on the same list, as you mentioned. Um, I think Zerk came in 15th or something thought, like that. I thought Claudia won the challenge. Oh, am I wrong that Claudia won the challenge and not the showcase? Oh, so. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, you're right. Claudia won the challenge. Zerk was in the show was in the showcase yeah. qualifier. The uh, the qualifier was won by a different deck that we'll talk about in a minute, which has uh, has also has some new cards in it. But anyway, Claudio won the challenge, and it's it's Yogg with Cauldron, and it's kind of like what we thought would happen. So Claudio beat Creativity, Burn, Yogg Moth, Four Color Coffers in the Swiss, and then in the top eight beat Grixis Control, Twiddle Storm, and Escape Shift. <laughs> Interesting lineup, huh? Interesting bracket uh, there. And there's a cyborg guard, f- cyborg guide forthcoming from Claudio. I-, I think that given that good players like Zerk, good Yogg players like Zerk and Claudio is, you know, also a well-known player picking up Cauldron like this, it seems like a lot of people are taking notice. But it's been in a lot other decks from there. I mean, one thing that's interesting is that a bunch of people in our Discord are super excited about playing the Cauldron in Heliod as well. And we had two players in the Dive Down Nation get five O's in the last 24 hours with Heli with Abzon Abzon Heliod. Yeah. Turtle Power was one. Mickey S, longtime friend of everybody on this podcast right now. <laughs> and yep. then also Spencer from Spencer. our Discord as well today got a five O with Abzon Heliod as well. Which sort of like a green white Heliod scurry oak rosy list with three grist and three cauldron and a couple of thoughtsies in the sideboard. And that's kind of what it is, you know. And so that's doing it. And then Spike has also picked up Soul Cauldron and has started playing it in hardened scales as well. And there were three players in the super qualifier with cauldron in their in their um hardened scales deck. Two of them made top 32. It's a lot of it. It's a lot of it. One thing at that cauldron goes crazy with walking ballista. I played, I played against Zerk. He had ballista and there was a turn where he just went like, he just, you know, exiled the ballista with the cauldron untapped, sack a bunch of stuff to Yogmoth, and just like, God, yeah. just, it goes so crazy with it. Card's great. I think it's nuts. Yeah. It's just, it's just so flexible. Like it's, there's just so much stuff you can do with it. And I think that, I mean, I don't think we're just scratching the surface, but I think we're, on level one and people are going to keep developing these decks to be more and more interesting, more and more streamlined and perfected. And I mean, I don't know. I don't know if these are like, you know, new tier one scourges of the format, but I think they're definitely a a really important addition to creature combo with which is a, a deck style that hasn't been really killing it lately. Yeah. Is this finally the card that like helps creature combo come back? There's every set. There's like a card that's going to help, collected company be a thing that we have to care about but yogmoth's already good so it's already like the good creature combo deck but everybody's always like oh it's gonna be the sword you know elspeth's sword from new capenna is gonna do the thing and then something else is gonna do the thing like what is this card doing that is really helping those decks come back i mean mickey when i was talking to him mentioned that the way that he thinks about soul cauldron is that it's kind of like a two-mana reanimate for the payoff cards Plus whatever incremental value you get off of occasionally milling cards into your graveyard off of Grist, where you occasionally hit something you really care about, and that goes in the graveyard too. Is that just what it is? It's just resilient against removal, and that's just helping plug a big hole in these decks? Or what what do you think? Yeah, so Grist is by far the main reason that you're playing this, because 
for, uh, you know, for those of you who don't know, you can exile the Grist from your graveyard because it is a creature when it's in the graveyard. So you get a counter on a creature you control, and that creature has the ability of Grist, which means you can start making tokens. And that's kind of basically what it is. It's like Grist is the best card, like one of the best cards in the Yawgmoth deck. And every single time a Grist is played, your opponent has to answer it on the spot. And with Cauldron, even if they answer it, you're just going to make another Grist. Like every single time, you're just going to keep churning out Grist. And that like endless stream of, you know, value is just so hard for the the Feradex to, to keep up with. Um, also, it's just randomly graveyard hate because right. it eats any graveyard. So if your opponent tries to scam their grief or their fury, nope, no thanks. Yeah, it's just uh, like a really good unlicensed Hurst. Right. <laughs> a really Even good better Hurst. Hurst. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and this card spiked up to be $40 over the weekend. I mean, like I said, I haven't got a chance to play it, but I think it's pretty clear after this weekend that like this card is going to be here for a minute at least and we'll see how it gets optimized from here yeah it just like like you said it just adds that this other entire dimension to the yawgmoth deck that um that it didn't you know necessarily have before it didn't really have a way to recur grist and, and that's just that that can't be matched yeah yeah and then the other card i wanted to talk about was up the beanstalk beans. up this beanstalk which we talked about on the I mean, everybody kind of knew that this card was going to make an impact, I think, as well. The thing that is really surprising me about this is kind of exact the precise way in which it's being used, and which I, I'll be curious to know what Devin and Shane think about this. So, you know, Beanstalk was in four-color elemental builds. It's in your four-color Omnath builds. It was very much like the Twitter meme of the weekend, because everybody just loves to say beans. We love saying beans. <laughs> Devin just dropped a huge plate of baked beans into our notes document, looking at baked beans right Stanislav's now. Stanislav's like, breakfast is served. Oh, yeah. UK <laughs> breakfast. I actually don't, I don't like baked beans for what it's worth. Not a, not a fan, which is weird maybe. But okay, so the deck that won the super qualifier, I misattributed to Claudio a minute ago, was actually a four-color Omnath deck by Dan Zant. Now, yep. this deck... This is a 75-card main Omnath deck, which I would love to hear what you think about that really quickly as well, Devin. In, a, in an era where we don't have um, Yorian anymore, we're still playing 75 cards sometimes. I don't know. Yeah, more than 60 cards. I feel like I've seen that before. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, but here, here's the thing that was wild, is that this is a deck that had four Up the Beanstalks, and it also has four rings. Now, when I originally saw people talking about this on Twitter, I kind of thought that they were going to take a shot on taking ring out and re- just straight up replacing Beanstalk with ring. But that didn't make any sense to me. And then when I saw this, still though, I'm like, we're just drawing cards. Like in modern, we're just drawing cards now. That's all that we care about. And, and it's sort of like, we just want to draw more and more cards because that's kind of what Coffers does too, right? Dave, are you saying that you don't want to draw cards? I think that longtime listeners know that it's one of my favorite things to do in Magic. But um, I do it with bad cards, like like, uh, Sleight of Hand in in Pioneer and things like that. But... Doesn't technically draw a card. True, that's true. Um, But yeah, I so I was a little surprised by the fact that we were just all in on four each of these. Is that that a surprise to you, Devin, or no? So kind of, I think I, so when I sketched out a list, I was just like, screw it. I'm going to play four rings and four beanstalk. Mm-hmm. I think maybe I might've had three rings. I can't remember, but I only had 60 cards and I never, I never, I haven't gotten around to play with beanstalk yet, but I can, I can imagine if you're playing with 60 cards and you're playing a long game and you have four rings and four beanstalks that 
you know, you could just deck yourself because yeah. the thing about beanstalk is it's not a may, it's a must. Right. So what, like, you know, if you, if you go a little bit too deep and have two beanstalks in play, but I think it is good to be playing both beanstalk and ring because they occupy different spots in the curve. Like beanstalk is a way to give you a two mana play, which you don't have a ton of, especially because a lot of these 60 card versions are cutting halfling. So you even have less two mana plays because you don't have Halfling and its fairy anymore. You only really have Ren and Six. So, you know, if you look at some of the other four color lists, maybe like one like Doom Switches, which we'll get to in Your a cousin. second. That <laughs> my cousin. Uh no halflings. So the more two mana plays good. And I think if you're if you decided that you want to play four of each, then 75 cards makes sense. I was just about to take a to mention Doom Switches. I I did not grok that he pulled out the um the halfling. So that's that's good to know. Yeah. Yeah, because he had Kahira. Oh, right. He does have Kahira. I mean, I saw Dan Zant talking on Twitter a little bit and mentioned that part of the reason that they like Beanstalk so much is because of what you said, extra two mana plays. They felt confident keeping two land hands more often because yep. this list that Dan Zant had, by the way, it was 75 cards with 26 lands. Which is kind of low. I, I mean, right? it feels low to me, but I'm, you know, I've never won a super qualifier. So maybe, maybe, you know, Maybe I'm the one that's wrong, but it did feel a little well, low think, to me. Think about it this way, right? If you're adding 15 cards and only three of them are lands, because most lists play 23 lands, that that ratio is kind of off. Right. But if you've decided that you're keeping every two land hand with a beanstalk, which I think you should be, then it, it kind of justifies that lower land count. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the other thing that surprised me a little bit about this is kind of the flip side of this, which is that there's only 14 cards in these lists that trigger beanstalk. There's 11 in the Doom Switch list that that trigger it and it doesn't count sideboard cards like obsidian charma or something like that like those we'll think about later but i i was also kind of surprised that it was that low like that they hadn't pushed some of their curve higher up somehow to be able to do even more but maybe there's just nowhere else to go with it honestly like there aren't any more cards that they can cheat into play i did see that one player bullwinkle 6705 had two time warps as well on their list which i thought was pretty interesting I think I think Bullwinkle had three. I was I was going to play that list on stream today, but I just didn't have enough uh, time. Yeah, yeah. So I play it tomorrow. So what do you think about this particular version of Omnath having just an absurd amount of card draw, like literally being able to draw your whole deck? I mean, it makes sense, right? Like you're playing it kind of plays into the ring. Like the reason the ring is so good is because you have a bunch of pitch spells, so you have extra stuff to do with those extra cards. And it kind of the beanstalk sort of provides a similar role where especially if you have two going, you're like, you know, pitch spell, draw two cards that can get you another pitch spell or material to use another pitch spell. And it's kind of the same thing where it's just like you just keep everything going and keep cycling through all this stuff until you eventually find your win condition. And, you know, you're just going to bury your opponent in cards because even though you're going two for you're, you're going down a card in the pitch exchange, you're getting that card back from the beanstalk. So I, I think it I think it does make a lot of sense that I, I if I was playing four color. I'd probably play four of each. Um, yeah. Interesting. And maybe the reason the Dan Zant list is 75 cards ultimately is really just not to deck themselves. Like knowing that they're going to draw so yeah. many cards and just saying, Hey, I'm going to have more than the other people that are drawing. And it just is what it is. I, I feel good about low land openers. And I, so I can add those to my range of things that I can keep. And then boom, I can draw as much as I want to. I don't have to worry about running out of cards. Like you could imagine playing a four color mirror where if you have four beanstalk and four ring and they only have four ring and you both have 60 cards, you're like almost 100 percent going to deck out because those games always go to time anyways, right. and you're just you're always going to be down cards. Yeah, yeah, 
So that's what I have for modern for now. Shane, thoughts on Beanstalk? Man, can this card possibly be really good enough to like actually carry a deck more? I don't know. Like this, this reads like an experimental card rather than like an actually good card. But drawing cards is good. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's just the fact that it when it 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 replaces itself is like enough. I don't really know. It's the ETB for sure. If this card didn't ETB draw. I think it would be unplayable. Yeah, it wouldn't you know, like be good. Nightmarish. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's a two-mana cycler that then sets up future plays. And I get it, but in today's economy, in today's modern, I, just don't, I mean, this is like, this is a grind card, right? So, like, this is, this is very specific builds like we've been talking about. So, I'm curious to see where this goes. It's not my kind of card. Yeah, the way that it feels like to me, it's like two mana draw. Like if you maybe you call it two mana draw three, but you can have those draws in certain like increments because like the fact that you can just go turn two, play it and fury your board while drawing a card like you can you're you're getting those cards no matter what. But they're like different installment periods, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Do we think and just to close out the discussion, we have to be specific about this. Do we think that any of the developments in these three decks or any decks in general are going to lead to a significant churn in the modern metagame? Like, is, is any, are any of these developments going to knock Scam off of being the top meta deck, do we think? You can just say yes or no. 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 Shane? <laughs> until, until I add main, main deck Leyland to my coffers. There you go. Yeah, that's the thing, is just, you know... You, Grief just does the grief stuff, and you just can strip out important cards from people's hands, and it happens a lot. And there's just a lot of tools in the scam toolbox. And the, I mean, the real thing is, is I don't want to get super in the weeds on it, but I mean, like we've, like many people have talked about, and we've talked about in the past, is that it just has a lot of different ways of attacking the opponent. And so, like, even with the ley lines, that does hopefully clear out some of their you know, plays, but they still have aggressive plays. They have hand interaction. They have the ability to recover from those early stumbles, like you know, early inability to, to do the evoking stuff. So I don't know. There's not a lot of great ways to really, you know, kick that deck pretty hard, but I don't know. Yeah. I also think, we'll see. I also think no, but that I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think that these can all be viable and scams still be around and that's okay for now. All right, let's take a quick break and then we'll talk we'll come back and talk about Pio in just a moment. Stanislav. David. How's it going? I'm doing okay. <laughs> nice. It's a great Wednesday. We're making it through. Yeah, you know, I figured I wanna be here to talk to you about shaving. Yeah, if if not for the rest of the episode where we talk about new cards from Wilds of Eldraine, you'd like to be here for shaving. I don't care about any of that stuff. That's Give me true. old cards. Give me old cards and new razor blades, am I right? Dave, can I ask you a question? Of course. Do you know how much it costs to buy a four-pack of Gillette random blade refills? Four Gillette blade refills. Do you know how much that costs? I bet it costs twelve dollars. I'm seeing eighteen at Target. Target. Wow. Now, follow-up question: Do you know how much it costs to buy five razor blades from Barrister and Man to put into your safety razor? One slim dollar. 
Less than that. Wow. 99 cents, baby. Wow. Off by a razor's edge. That's that's the thing that I think people aren't talking about enough with wet shaving and using safety razors in particular. It's so, so much cheaper. And not only that, if you get a really nice safety razor made out of like stainless steel or titanium or whatever other precious metal is important to you, that thing can just last literally forever until right. you're a grandma or a grandpa using your same old 40-year-old safety razor on different parts of your body. Now, our friends at Barrister and Man don't really stock too many razor blade handles themselves, but they do stock the blades. They do stock the blades, but they stock the other most important bit. That's right. They stock the stuff that you get to enjoy while you're using the razor blades. Things like Shaving soap, things like aftershave, things like beard oil, as we've talked about many times in the past, and all of those things right now available at Barrister and Man. Uh, a number of products still on sale, 25% off. Go check that out if you go to barristerandman.com to see what they're up to. But I encourage you, Stan encourages you, we all encourage you as you think about your beard grooming game for fall to think about switching to a safety razor and trying out Barrister and Man's excellent shaving products and this fall try their cheshire shaving soap that goes along perfectly with their cheshire aftershave splash it's got a picture of big ben on the label we know how that you live very close to big ben now so i know that i know that's kind of your your personal symbol i've always said it's everyone's favorite clock yeah it's up there it's on the list and if you'd like to try out barristerandman.com uh you can use code the dive down 23 for 15% off your first order. That's the Dive Down 23 for 15% off your first order. Please check them out. All right, we are back. And look, we talked a lot about Modern. We talked a lot about good decks and some interesting cards and options in Modern. So let's talk about Modern's slightly unappreciated little sibling in Pioneer, but there's because there's a lot of stuff going on in Pioneer. Devin shared a number of decks that he had been testing uh, with with us. Um, I tested out a deck that had been, uh, I think he did a 5 0 in a league, and there's a lot to talk about in Pioneer, especially with you know, with some of the cards typically able to make a bigger impact in a smaller format and so i think there's some cool stuff for us to discuss and to give devin a break uh i'll i'm gonna first talk about um a deck that i played we've talked about it a bit before on here and that's burrows convoke importantly this is now featuring the bunny corn and you know doom's back on i think it makes total sense that we'd be revisiting burrows convoke once again and it's really for only one reason and that's Regal Bunny Corn, a new and potentially interesting card from Wilds of Eldraine, which is just a one and a white rabbit unicorn. That's all you really need, but there's more. Its power and toughness are each equal to the number of non-land permanents you control. So it's just a star star creature. Every non-land permanent contributes to its power and toughness, including itself. So in an ETP, you know, if a completely empty board besides your lands, it's a one-one. Not very good. Uh, if you have a bunch of other stuff, it gets a lot better. And we talked about Bunny Corn in the spoiler episode. We mentioned it in this deck, 
with you know, potential application in Convoke because what the deck does is make a bunch of permanents as you are progressing your game plan along. And so Bunnycorn in this deck is kind of your pioneer Tarmogoyf. It gets pretty huge pretty quickly. Like it's really not uncommon to play this thing as like a 4-4 four, four, or like a 6-6 six, six, pretty darn early. And then you're presenting a quick clock, you know, barring a number of other things that we'll talk about. And so what this is replacing is some number of like Clarion Spirits, Regal, Leosaur, or a few other random cards that have shown up in the deck. Doom, where, where else have kind of you seen, what, what else have you seen people be cutting for this or what would you cut for this and kind of the older build of the deck? So yeah, you are correct. The, the flex bots being the Clarion Spirits and or Forbidden Friendships. Mm-hmm. So the Burning Tree Emissary versions played Forbidden Friendship and the thing is, you can't really play Burning Tree when you have Bunny because you can't. It's a two drop that you can't cast up Burning Tree. Yeah. So when you're playing with the Bunny Corn, you kind of have to use that as the other the other two drop you want to play is the reinforcements that one one flash the big center creature. Um, and that's really where where we where I've where I've seen cutting cards. Sometimes the other one drops too, like a Giant Killer and stuff like that. Sure. Um, one thing I did want to bring up that it, it kind of a good point here is it kind of gives the deck a different dimension. Yep. where this deck is incredibly good at going wide, but sometimes you get brickwalled by like an old yes. Petrol or a yes, Cavalier of Thorns very easily because not even even your other tall creatures, your 4-4s don't attack well into those. And now you just have an 8-8 or a 10-10 later in the game against green. Uh, you do have to pair it with some ways to give trample, which we can talk about. But um, if you know if you can do that, that's that's a way to steal a game against green. Yeah, for sure. I think that's something that I noticed when I was playing. I played maybe like seven or eight matches with this deck because the matches go so fast. It's really, it's a really nice testing deck or if you want to blow through a league pretty quickly, I did have a few grinders that were actually pretty satisfying games that I can maybe remember enough to talk about. But yeah, I think that's the really important thing is like frequently I'd be in a position where it's like, look, I've got seven creatures on board, but I can only really swing with Bunnicorn because they have to block it. And so you're just sort of keep, if you have enough turns, you can just keep attacking in. They're forced to block. Their board sort of dwindles as yours yours maintains its size or gets bigger because of the things that your deck is just trying to do. And then once you sort of chip away at their biggest blockers um, or, or you, know, you chip away at their board, you leave them with pretty much nothing left and you can just do alpha strikes. And there's a couple other things that then support your alpha strikes. Like, you know, you hold a... Uh, the goblin thing, the, the, what is that thing called? The, the bushwhacker. The yeah. Bushwhacker. Yeah. The bushwhacker Reckless. thing with surge and, you know, gives your whole board a little pump and stuff like that. You gives gives haste to whatever else you play along with it. So yeah, I think the strengths of bunny corn is just that it, in this deck, it comes down and is usually at least like a watch wolf, right? Like it's like you're two mana, three, three. And then what happens then after is like it really quickly scales. So like, you know, turn three, you can cast a gleeful demolition or something like that on a blood token or a clue token. You know, you make those extra two permanents on top of blowing up the outer effect, of course. You know, you cast maybe another one mana creature or something like that. And you're attacking for six. 
um, on turn three with just one creature if you're not swinging with something else. So like I would be, you know often be able to hold like the resolute reinforcements, which is like that one in a white flash creature that makes two pieces of cardboard. And you know they declare blocks, then you can surprise them with an extra two power and toughness, or you're just adding more damage on an empty board or something like that. So you know you think about clearing spirit, which was the same casting cost, and all clearing spirit really was was a two two that helps you keep going wide which like devin was getting at is not necessarily the biggest need in this deck right and so bunny corn pivots you to having something that's like you know must block or must remove and clearing spirit didn't really offer that at least as quickly one thing about comparing it to clearing spirit and i think a lot of people maybe don't realize is on turn two, it's a three, three, if you have an Epicure and inspector. So if you're on the draw against Rakdos and they hold up stomp, they can't stomp your buddy on turn two, whereas normally they could stomp your Clarence spirit. So, you know, that's, that's something to keep in mind mm-hmm. for the listeners at home. For sure. That, that gets into some things you need to think about with bunny corn too, uh, it, which is the power and toughness dynamically changes. Yes. So if you're like a death shadow player, you're probably used to this kind of stuff, but like with, uh, I definitely misplayed once where I, I was, I was doing kind of an alpha strike. It was basically to set up a future alpha strike where I was sort of swinging in to clear their board with a bunch of stuff. And I was like, well, my bunny corn's going to survive. And, you know, they took care of a couple of my one ones with their like one toughness blockers. And then I was like, oh wait, uh, I forgot that my bunny corn is going to shrink when I lose these tokens. Yeah. So it took, it, it took lethal damage eventually after losing the tokens. What was really funny is I could have, uh, flashed in a, uh, the reinforcements card, but I kind of didn't think about it at the time because I was new and playing quickly on magic online with this deck. So, you know, live and learn, uh, it didn't cost me the game or anything like that, but that's the kind of stuff you have to be thinking about because this, deck involves so many small creatures and so many small pieces of cardboard and also the ability to you know sometimes like you know gleeful demolition is a sorcery you can't cast it during uh, combat so do i want to do this before combat is that going to change anything where i'll need to do it now and i would rather have done it now than i would later like do they have damage based interaction that if they block and if they block in a certain configuration of things that they can also then just burn my bunny corn after the fact and then kill it. So this, those are the things that pays you to pay attention to. Another thing to keep in mind is sequencing, which has always kind of been the, the more difficult aspect to this deck. It's like, which stuff do you want to play early versus which stuff do I want to save until the bushwhacker turn? Because like, if they don't know that you have a bunny, that's going to get haste. So you can just like deploy something else on turn two and then wait for the bunny plus bushwhacker, which by the way, that, that, that combination of cards in turn four is really sick. That sounds amazing. Bunny plus. Yeah. (laughs) That's hilarious. That comes up a lot. How much do you think you're attacking for on turn four? If you go, I mean, like what, what can you get to if you go bunny, bunny bushwhacker kind of, yeah, like a million. Like a million. Easy. Something like Easy. That. You got it. I think I killed two people on turn three when I yeah. played the deck. It can happen. You can you can get like yeah. almost lethal. You can get effective lethal. Uh the Yeah, what I found myself doing a lot was if I felt that like I could deploy Bunnicorn on turn two so that it wouldn't die, then I'm really happy, especially against like a control deck. I mean, unless it's like sort of a, if they have a black base removal, then you're not super happy. Uh, But it's the kind of thing where it's like, yeah, if I untap with this thing, 
then I'm able to swing for a lot because I can make, you know, maybe four, five pieces of cardboard that just are adding to the strength of this thing. But like you said, I think it also pays to think about, you know, do I want to save this for my late game surprise alpha strike where I I have this gigantic beater uh, that they kind of have to think about. But of course, one of the issues with, and this gets to maybe some weaknesses of bunny corn that just doesn't have anything. There's no other keywords. Right. There's no trample. There's no uh, evasion at all. There's no menace. So like chump blockers are just stopping this thing in its tracks that, of course, potentially gives you the opportunity to get all your other tokens in. So if those are beefed up with the one one counters from your Loxodon or their plus one power from your Bushwhacker, then maybe that's just as good. But that that was one issue where Bunnycorn, I think, had a little bit of an issue. But I, I know that you mentioned here in the notes, like there are some options for increasing Bunnycorn's ability to trample over stuff. So the list, the most recent list that I played had two Embercleave and two Legion Loyalist. Mm. Legion Loyalist is a card that have, people have played in the past, not necessarily for the trample, because, you know, before Bunnycorn, you really just had a bunch of one ones and two twos but mostly for like the, the token camp block aspect of it against Grease Fang. But Legion Loyalist, people don't realize some of the flavor text that actually does give trample. And the fact that all of your stuff gets trample on attacks, same, you know, similar with Ember Cleave, where you just send in a, a big attack and then, you know, all of a sudden you have a 10-10 double strike trample. So those are two things to consider with uh, with the bunny. And, you know, Ember Cleave is basically always two mana in your deck that has a million one drops. Yeah, that makes that makes good sense. I like the Ember Cleave quite a bit there. I mean, the problem is that Bembercleave really only pairs well with your Convoke creatures and Bunnycorn, but honestly, even on the Convoke creatures, which I think both have four power, that's not bad. Like, you're fine yeah. with a, you know, a uh, Embercleave on those 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 folks. Um, but yeah, I think that's a good idea to test that. I wouldn't mind that at all. Uh, you know, one of the other weaknesses I think of Bunnycorn is that it doesn't make two pieces of cardboard or more. It's so like it's not really yep. on your primary game plan. It is only a support piece. Like the floor is very low. And that's not great. Like it's not, I don't think it's making, it doesn't make the decks, I mean, and you could maybe correct me on this because I think it does get through maybe some larger creatures better than other parts of the deck did before. And so maybe it does strengthen particular matchups in that fashion. But I think some of those decks also often feature removal so like you know if you're playing against rakdos midrange or something like that it's not like bunny corn is gonna have any better chance of surviving through like a fatal push or other piece of uh, black base removal so but you do want to be able to attack through uh even their uh, 3-2 vampire or the bone crusher giant or something like that with a with a larger uh, bunny corn so yeah think you know there's strikes and gutters here yeah, the one so I think it kind of helps your Lotus Field matchup because it gives you a way to get like this, you know, thing on turn two that you're almost 100 percent to be able to kill them on turn three if you have any sort of like pushback or follow up. But I don't know if you really needed the help against Lotus Field. I think it was already a favorable matchup because you're you know, they don't have any interaction and you're goldfishing on turn three against them. And the one the reason this deck is so good, at least I thought I thought this deck had a decent Rakdos matchup. And part of that is because none of your cards trade effectively with Fatal Push. It's kind of like the same thing with Burn, where the reason Burn is so good is because you can't trade a removal spell with a Lava Spike. And it kind of 
it kind of is the same dichotomy or the same thing with Rakdos versus Convoke. It's like, if I play a 3-bit Inspector and you Fatal Push it, I still have a thing in play. Your Fatal Push didn't do that much. So I think Bunnycorn definitely does, you know, weaken your Rakdos matchup. Yeah, I mean, I think it, I, I don't know exactly if it, how it fits into the deck in terms of its performance. I think it makes very good sense in the deck. I routinely liked having it, but I don't have enough experience with this in previous matchups and previous builds to be like, oh yeah, Bunnycorn's really changing the way I'm winning games. It's really changing my my matchups and things like that. So, I mean, really, I just want to talk about this card. I want to talk about how it felt. And I think getting some ways to give this thing some evasion, give it some trample, uh, make a really good sense. I think overall, like, I mean, this isn't a, a dive into this, but like this deck's like fun, good and cheap. Like it's, it's, it's a, it's a fun thing to play on magic online for like 50 ticks or something like that. Like it's pretty dirt cheap. And I think like, there's a lot of people who want to play control in pioneer and this deck thwomps control. Like yeah. even if you play bad, like I did, even if you play into like Hidetsugu consumes all or like a four mana sweeper or something like that. Like if you play moderately intelligently, like you're rebuilding extremely quickly, you know, and then just in going ham yet again, like you, you basically have to make your opponent have to have two sweepers to have a chance. And yeah. I think it's, I think the deck has strengths and weaknesses. Um, you know, blockers can be a pain, but that's what one reason that Bunnycorn's pretty good. Sweepers are a pain, but I think the deck is cool. I would I would play it again. It's the type of thing where it's just like if I wanted to play magic for like 10 minutes, like, you know, just just go play a match of this. Just <laughs> you're you're good. You know what I mean? Five minutes. Yeah, Five sometimes minutes. that. I mean, like, one- a, like I did have some fun, like I did have like a fun grindy creature deck matchup. My my opponent was doing something, you know, off the wall. And they had a number of like fairly minimal creatures and I had a number of fairly minimal creatures, obviously, but like if that's all they're doing is sort of continuing to build up a board, like you can outclass them or surprise them. Like I played the cyborg card that uh, gave, that's a three drop that gives all of your creatures menace. You know, which is specifically specifically designed for matchups like this. So just like hold, 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 go. You know what I mean? And didn't then just take over. Uh, and, you know, Giant Killer does come in clutch with stuff like that when you can play the remo- as a removal spell, remove their biggest blocker, and then you're able to attack through with stuff. So, you know, it's it's fun. I wish it had a little bit different type of reach, but that's a conversation for another day. Uh, overall, cool deck, uh, pretty cool card. It's definitely pretty vanilla, but it, I think there's, a, there's some application for Bunnicorn now and hopefully in the future. Yeah, one last thing I'll say about the matchups. I do think it improves your green matchup asterisk if you can have a way to give a trample because, you know, part of the matchup before was like they would just put a bunch of stuff on the field and it was really hard to crack through. But if you have, you know, a 10-10 or 11-11 double strike trample, they they probably can't survive that. So if you're playing Embercleave plus Bunny, I think that can make the green matchup better. I'm all for it. David. I'm still here. You also played Pioneer. <laughs> I did play Pioneer. <laughs> So uh, of the the list of decks that Devin shared with us, and of course of the conversations that we had had last week, somebody had to try Elusive Otter. We knew it was going to be me. So I tried out Elusive Otter and Pioneer in Blue, Red, Prowess, and Pioneer, of course. 
one quick thing before we continue. I wanted to play that card on like Wednesday, but it was still bugged. So I don't know when you played it, but apparently maybe it wasn't bugged when you played it. It definitely worked when I played it for what it's worth. Uh, Now, how much did it work? We'll talk about that a little bit (laughs) right now. But yeah, exactly. It, It functioned functioned but here's the thing that was interesting so i'm playing a blue red prowess deck that uh welcome to the internet which is a wonderful magic online username user magic online user welcome to the internet uh five owed with this on the 7th of september and so they five owed before this bug with elusive otter was working where the adventure side was just not doing anything maybe it was just providing a spell trigger and not putting tokens i'm not sure exactly what's going on when i played it it was fully functioning but there are four wides of wilds of eldraine cards in this deck which i thought was pretty interesting and i i have two of them i can talk about extremely quickly and then we'll talk a little bit more about some of the other ones the first one is elusive otter grows bounty which we talked about um you know the front the creature side of it is that it is a one one with prowess that says creatures with power less than elusive otters power can't block it and it costs a single blue the groves bounty side or the the spell side is a sorcery that is x green distribute x plus one plus one counters among any number of target creatures you control so that's like the key to this whole thing but there were three other cards in this deck that were new in from wilds of eldraine and that is witch's mark monstrous rage and sleight of hand do we talk Say about? Do we talk about Witch's Mark? <laughs> I feel like we talked about Monstrous Rage. We did talk That's about like Monstrous that cool Rage. Trick. Yeah. So Witch's Mark is a discard a card. You know, it's a single generic and a red for a discard a card. If you do draw two cards, and then you put a Wicked Roll token on your creature, so it puts plus one wicked. plus one, and it, and when it dies, each opponent loses one life. I think this card is bad. I don't think you need <laughs> it in this deck. I wouldn't play it again for what it's worth. Like, yeah. I'm- I'm pretty sure they were just testing random yep. stuff. And I agree. And I think this card is is not great. I, I don't really love the idea of like a um, you know, thrill of possibility and prowess anyway, and that's kind of what this is. I also think that, you know, all of this aside, I think roles are actually a little better, especially in Pioneer, than we gave them credit for maybe in the spoiler episodes, but this card is not cheap enough to make the roll good. And the wicked roll is also bad, which is part of the reason that like it doesn't matter that the wicked roll goes on your fury in modern, for example. It also doesn't matter here because that second piece of text is really not very good. But monstrous rage for a single red with a with is an instant and it gives plus two plus O and gets a monster roll on your token. We talked about this. It gives plus one plus one and trample to your creature permanently this card is good oh would this seem this this should be in borrows convoke yeah maybe oh for the bunny well i mean any of your prowess creatures i mean excuse me any of the convoke creatures too that's not terrible yeah could see but at any rate i think as far as new cards so i thought in the spoiler i thought that this card could be good I played with this card in Commander this weekend. It was good. I played with it in Pioneer, and it was good. I know Devin is looking at me. My Commander is that bad <laughs> this card that I played this in Commander. <laughs> yeah. What the hell? Yeah, I, I'm doing spell slinging and casting sorceries and stuff. Casting Wheel of Fortune mm. and instant speed with trample. You throwing fireballs. No shade. No, yeah, exactly. And but this card I think is good. I like this card a lot. I think giving some creature on your team trample forever is really worth it. And doing instant speed is also very handy. Of course, it's a good combat trick. I side door I sideboard it out a lot. Like it's on the chopping block for when you have to sideboard in this deck and you want to go more interactive with counter spells, but it is what it is. Just quick note on Monstrous Rage before we move on. I saw four copies of this card in three different decks. They were all the uh, Boros Heroic deck from the challenges this weekend. Yes. 
that is a deck that I have loved at different points in modern as well. And that seems like a good, this seems like a good card for the, or sorry, different points in pioneer as well. That's, this seems like a good card in that deck as well. But the card that was the biggest upgrade for prowess, all of these, not to give any spoilers away, was sleight of hand, in my opinion. And sleight of hand, you know, I don't think we need to read a card text, but you know, this was the best addition to the deck. I don't even care that it's a sorcery and not an instant. It's just so much better than opt, honestly, to be able to dig and see, get better cards off of it instead of just get spell triggers off of it. Having to commit pre-combat is a downside, but it is what it is. I get to be able to get a better card out of the equation, and honestly, that just made the deck feel a lot better than it did with opt. Yeah, and like instant versus sorcery, I feel like it doesn't matter that much in your prowess deck because you're mostly casting stuff on your own turn anyways. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I guess saving opt is a combat trick, but you could also argue that like seeing an extra card pre-combat can find you another spell that you can also pre-combat and it's like it opens up. Correct. Yeah, and I think the big thing there you hit on it is that you want to be able to uh, to play some cantrips at instant speed if someone tries to like shock your guy, your monastery yeah. Swiss spear when you go in. It's a combat trick. I, I just think that the ability to recover from bad draws or rebuild better off of this turned out to be better in the long run. And so I would definitely play sleight of hand in, in this deck going forward and not even really hesitate about it for what it's worth. But hey, people didn't want to really hear about those three cards, even though sleight of hand's the best one. I think it's super boring. I think people want to hear about the otter, right? Otter. How good was the otter? Was it good to have 12 one mana prowess cards? I think the otter is very medium, to be honest. Like it's okay. extremely fragile. It's very nice to have a prowess creature that's also a spell, but the spell side is super ex expensive when it really comes down to it. And so I felt like in yeah, almost, it's like flavor text. It's not. It's it's a little better than flavor text because you can even just cast it for a single green and get no counters and get a prowess trigger, just for which prowess, occasionally yeah. you want to do. But I did win games where I went like turn five. I'm gonna. I have a swift spear and a soul scar mage out, and I'm gonna put two count or one counter on one of them and two counters on the other one and keep up spell pierce. Like that's, that's what I'm doing. And that, that won me some, at least one or two games when I was playing. But the problem is I really just think that I would have preferred Sprite Dragon in almost every single time that I had Elusive Otter because of the haste. And I think if people have listened to this show for a while, they know how I feel about Sprite Dragon, which is not very good. And so for me to say that I think Sprite Dragon is better than this card, you know, I, I don't know, but that Thanks. that might just be one one draft go through it. You know, I played one league, I got a two, three out of it. You know, I beat, I don't even remember, I, I know I beat Raksak and lost to Rakdos mid. And then after that's a little hazy, like what what particular decks I played. I think I played another another Rakdos deck and and beat that one as well, weirdly. But it wasn't terrible, terrible, and I might do another league, give another league a chance. But I kind of felt like it wasn't enough of an upgrade, and the and the otter is so fragile that it was just kind of like it wasn't really doing much to do, move the needle on prowess for me, generally speaking. How often did the uh, camp block? text come up because i played against the otter a couple of times and i i feel like it, it, it was really impressive when i played against hmm. it uh i would say infrequently it came up okay. probably twice in the league that i was playing where it was either you know i play otter and it gets killed or where it fits into my curve i have to play it unprotected 
or and maybe I just shouldn't do that. Maybe it's just like don't ever play it on the creature side unless you're gonna have mana left over. So either let it sit in the adventure zone or you know play it with other open mana. So I don't I don't think it came up very often in that case. I definitely don't remember alphaing anyone with like a giant otter at any point during the league, unfortunately. Okay. But you thought it was pretty good pressure when you were playing against it. Yeah, and maybe that was just the a product of the decks that I was playing. I think they were mostly white decks that didn't have a ton of instant speed interaction. Like I didn't have fatal pushes or anything like yep. that. So, you know, and I had I was playing more to the board with creatures, and that's kind of where the otter shines is against those decks. The problem is there's not a lot of those in Pioneer. Most of the decks are, you know, equipped to deal with the, you know, the otter at instant speed with fatal pusher or what have you. Yeah, or stomp. Stomp is of course yeah. the big blowout where you're like, okay, we're gonna do something, and then they stomp and then play the play the creature. Um, it is it is funny, like the biggest thing I got out of this deck is that Ledger Shredder is still a great card. Like I haven't played a Ledger, Ledger Shredder in a while because it's not in any of the decks I play in Modern right now. And I was just like, wow, Ledger Shredder is really good. I you know, I can get this up to a four five, no or a four six, no problem, like every game and and attack in. So most of the games that I won were really based off of killing with Ledger Shredder plus like a Swift Spear or something like that to keep it ground ground down. I will say it's speaking of Ledger Shredder in my leagues with Convoke. I think I played against Ledger Shredder a couple of times and boy, as a Convoke player, you do not want to see Ledger Shredder on the other side of the battlefield because you are casting two spells every turn and you cannot avoid right. it. Right. Yeah. And it gets giant and they just draw, they just get to filter their draws. Yeah. yeah it's rough. Yeah. So you got everyone on this show knows that I love prowess. I don't think this is enough to make me want to go back to it. Really, I might do it again, but honestly, I would rather play Boros Heroic. Like you said, Devin is like something that I would try in this kind of aggro space or even try, of course, the Convoke deck again, given what Shane said about Button Court and, and stuff like that uh, instead. I'm sad to see, Dave, that it wasn't blowing your mind, but keep on playing. I'm yeah. sure it'll go somewhere. But Devin, with a, the, yes. a few minutes, we, we got a few minutes left, and you've been okay. playing some Pioneer. Give, yeah. give us what, what kind of things are, are intriguing you or that you're are playing well for you or you think have some potential here in Pioneer. So uh, the two decks that I think have been the most impressive, we'll, we'll talk about a couple of them. The first up is Boggles. Now, for those of you who may remember Boggles of the past, uh, I believe it was Madsen. I can't remember mm-hmm. his full name, but uh, did both the Pro Tour. I think lost to Reed in the finals. Benson Madsen. That's yeah. who it was. Uh, And that's kind of where it was popularized. Now, the difference here, the new card that we have is Toadstool Admirer. Very simple card. One mana for a green mana for a 1-1 has Ward 2, and you can pay 3 and a green to put a counter on it. That's it. Now, Ward 2, not not actually as good as, you know, actual factual hexproof. We understand that. But what's nice about the, the Toadstool Admirer is... First of all, they can't fatal push it in the first two turns because even if they have fatal push, they have to wait until they can pay the ward. So you're free to cook with the with the toad in the first couple of turns and against the decks that have red base removal. So against is it and, and things of that nature that only have shocks and damage base removal. It's not that hard to get it out of range of those shocks in, you know, by turn three when you put your second or third aura on it. So, you know, it does a really good impression of actual hexproof without actually being, you know, real hexproof. Uh, and then the other notable thing about this car is it's a, another one drop because before you were playing, I think it was the Cyba Cryptomancer, which was like blue and a one for an O one flash hexproof that had backup. And, you know, w- when it comes down to mulliganing with boggles, there's so many matchups where you just need to have a one drop and that high density of one drops is very important, I think. Wow. 
Here's the thing I see when I look at this list. There's no SRAM. No, you don't need, you don't it. need it anymore because I guess with all the one drops, you are able to lean harder into Curious Obsession, which Benton was not running in his list, for example, back at that time. But you also are running Staggering Insight, which is a card that I've always enjoyed playing in blue-white auras, even though it's expensive. But um, the fact that you get to run four of each of those is like you don't need the card draw engine to be on one of your creatures anymore because you can equip your one drop with it. Is that kind of that's where we're at? Right. So the, the theory behind the way that the list can, is constructed is because you have those extra one drops, the draw spells are way more like the draw auras when you're curving out with one drop into any of those draw auras. They're so much more impactful than where you're, when you're curving out with, say, Cyber Cryptomancer or SRAM into a, you know, a draw aura on turn three. You know, you're when you're on the play with like, say, you know, one drop into a curious obsession, if your opponent doesn't have or if they just don't have a creature or to block with um, or anything, you know, maybe if they do, they might not be able to trade with it you get in that one hit and it just like snowballs from there. So I think the, the composition of this deck means that you don't need to play SRAM anymore and you can kind of lean the draw into those, the, the blue enchantments that, that that's really what played out the league that the deck felt very, very good. Oh, that's awesome. You can also, then your main two drop strategy is just light pause. And then you're like, okay, I'm just going to make a giant light pause when it's time for me to play that card. That card's broken, yeah. by the way. Yeah. Like, if you untap with it, they're they are not getting another turn. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I <laughs> it's so good. I've I've played lists in the past, and I think that Benton's list might even have had this where you're like, you know, getting giving haste to it, and then it really kind of goes wild when you're kind of making it giant with uh, you know, making it giant with all the glitters, and then you get haste on it, and then you just swing in for immediately out of nowhere for a, a zillion points. So that's cool. I, I do like auras a lot in Pioneer, so maybe this is a good deck to go try out. I glanced at Toadstool Admirer on the on the uh, the spoiler list, and I was like, "How good is Ward Two going to be?" Turns out, good enough when you just want to suit it up. Yeah, I mean, it is noticeably worse against exactly Fatal Push, right. so you do lose a little bit of percentage points against Rakdos. But you know, to be honest, the hands that didn't have Blade Cover Scout, you probably weren't beating Rakdos anyways, because like unless you're on the play and you have turn one Glade Cover Scout, they're just going to thought tease your creature. And that matchup was kind of rough anyways. Yeah. So um, but what also what's very important is like against the matchups where you have to race like green and stuff, you're just having a one drop with more frequency. And against those decks, Ward versus Hexproof doesn't matter. They don't have removal spells. anyways. Right. Yeah. And just getting so. on curve is is better anyway. Right. So, yep. yeah. All right, well, let's hear about the, uh, the other list that you had had here on your kind of the last couple things you wanted people to know about. <sighs> this deck is so sick. So Naya Pia, <laughs> which uh, I, I spent I spent a lot of time on Pia in the last season and, you know, various versions of Boros Pia. So the new cards here, we'll talk about three of them. So the first one, I guess we can we could talk. Yeah, we'll talk about three of them. So the first one is Questing Druid. Um, it's uh, Seek the Beast is red and a colorless instant. Exile the top two until your next end step. You may play those cards. And then the Druid half is two mana, one, one. Whenever you play a spell that's white, blue, black, or red, you get a counter on it. Um, this card, surprisingly, not that good. And wow. I think what, so initially, it, yeah, I know, very surprising. What I started with was I just cut, so I took like the standard Pia list, which normally has four Impulse and four Rens Resolve, and I just cut two of each and played four Seek the Beast. And I was like, well, I mean, it's it's really just Reckless Impulse, right? Uh No. Not right, because the, the, the specifically the wording on Questing Druid, it says, until your next end step, you may play those cards, compared to until the end of your next turn on Ren's Resolve and Reckless Impulse. Why is that important? Well, your deck plays four showdown of the Scalds. 
And if you if you try to main phase the seek the beast to try and hit a land drop and you you happen to hit a showdown, you're not going to be able to cast it that turn. And thus, you're not going to be able to cast the showdown next turn. You just lose it entirely. So, um, yeah, it really didn't work out for me. I think where Seek the Beast really belongs and maybe it's like an entirely different deck is you play like a lot more instant speed stuff because casting it on your opponent's turn is fine because you're going to get to then untap and get all your mana to use the cards. But yeah, that one was uh, a little surprising to me. I thought it was going to be very good and turns out not as good as I thought it was. Wow, that is surprising. Uh, But on the other hand, Pollen Shield Hair which is, I don't know if we talked about this one during the spoiler episode. I can't remember if I brought this one up, um, but let's just go over this one quickly for the listeners at home. Hair raising is the sorcery <laughs> part of this. It's, uh, yeah, raise your hair. What if I don't have any hair is the question. Uh, green sorcery target creature you control gains vigilance and plus X plus X, where X is the number of creatures you control. And then the creature half is pollen shield hair. One in a white for a two, two that says creature tokens you control get plus one plus one. Now, with Pia, you're making a decent amount of tokens. You're not making like a ton, but, you know, a Pia and a couple activations there, you'd make two or three tokens. They all get plus one, plus one. It's pretty cool. But what's also like it just works so perfectly with Pia because you get to cast the spell early, which is good because you're a force with spear for soul scar deck. So just having the prowess trigger is good and pushes a little bit of damage early. And then you can set up a turn on turn four where you go, you know, in the same turn, you go like Pia. Maybe you play a land from exile with a previous reckless impulse, and then you play the pollen shield hair from exile, which because you're casting it from adventure still triggers Pia, which gives you a token. And that token has haste and gets plus one plus one. So it's kind of like a really, really cool, like all package deal. And uh, I was uh, a really, really big fan of, uh, of, of the hair in this deck. It was good. That is fantastic. I did not think that this card was going to be good, but that's awesome to see. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't look like a ton, but uh, but a big fan of it. Devin, do you think if I like prowess that I, I have not played Naya? Naya, I have not played Pia ever. Do you think that this is like the actual prowess deck that is good is something in this space? I love casting a lot of spells. Oh, yeah, I think you'd like this deck. OK, well, it's also like really sick, too, because you can get these turns with showdown where it's like showdown kind of feels like it has prowess when you get the chapter two, right? Because mm, every yeah. spell you're cast, you're getting a counter on stuff. So it, it has like pseudo prowess. Showdown's a sweet but I think card. I like this deck. Yeah, it is. The last card that I wanted to talk about here, and I, I, I don't remember if we went over this one either. Torch the Tower. So this is uh, red instant with bargain. It is says Torch the Tower deals two damage to target creature or planeswalker if the spell was bargained. Instead, it deals three, and you scry one. And if that wasn't enough, if a permanent dealt damage by Torch the Tower would die this turn, exile it instead. That's a lot of text for a one mana, you know, damage spell. Seriously. <laughs> It's a lot, um, but very, very important because you, first of all, with bargain, you have Pia tokens, so you can, you have some random material to sack to bargain. Totally fine. You're not losing a lot if you're sacking a token. And uh, what's really nice is you get the guaranteed three damage, whereas previously these decks did play fiery impulse, but you need to have spells in the graveyard. So it's less guaranteed than having something to sacrifice to bargain. And the exile clause at the very end is also massive because it helps you deal with stuff like old growth troll and cavalier of uh, cavalier of thorns. There's a spot where I like got into combat with a prowess creature with like the torch, the tower face up. And I was like, okay, if they block, that's fine. I'll just trade my creature and my torch. They'll their cavalry get exiled and then I'll be fine. 
And uh, yeah, it was pretty good. And also at the end of the day, can have Planeswalkers too, just in case. So really, really like that card a lot. That's awesome. Very cool. But overall, good upgrades to Pia, and I uh, can't wait to keep testing this deck. This is, I, I think this is probably my favorite deck in the format right now. I was just going to ask if this is the one that you like the most. That's, that's cool to hear. See, this is, I feel like looking at this now, and I, I saw during like the RCQ season, I wasn't playing a lot of Pioneer then because we were concentrating pretty heavily on Modern, but playing, I saw people talking about this deck on Twitter at the time and feeling like, oh, that seems pretty cool. I wonder exactly how it works. But now listening to you talk about it, I'm like, oh yeah, this is like, this is the new version of I'm going to cast, cast a bunch of spells and try to just do something broken and fast, which I think is uh, right up my alley. So I will probably give it a try. Yeah, and previous lists, you might even be more happy with the ones that were playing Runaway Steamkin, mm. because I don't know if you have ever tried to, or have ever untapped with a Showdown of the Scalds on Chapter 2 in a Steamkin. No. But uh, it goes kind of crazy. That's funny. Awesome. Love it. My friends, this is a packed episode. Devin, it's great to have you back on, talking about all the stuff that you actually get some time to play with. And... I'm apt to to keep playing. Like I, I mean, I I like the aggressive decks that we were talking about. You know, like you know, Bogles and Pia and the Convoke deck uh, and and well, everything we talked about in Pioneer was actually quite aggressive. Aggressive. That's so, interesting. I'm all for it. And man, I think as a Tron player, I need to try out Coffers a few times and maybe get addicted to Shielded plus the One Ring. But I think that this wraps up this week's show. Um, of course, check out Doomwake on his regular stream on twitch.tv slash D-0-0-M-W-A-K-E. Uh, always an excellent stream. Uh, great community. Um, I love checking that out during the day when I'm at work sometimes. I love hanging out, but then I have a meeting and I have to leave and I forget to come back. And uh, But if you haven't yet, Make sure you subscribe to the pod. You get latest episodes as soon as they come out. If you use Apple Podcasts, feel free to leave us a rating and a review on the um, Spotify. That's called Spotify. You can answer the default question. And if there's some interesting comments there, if on the, each episode, you can answer a question like, what do you think about this episode? Anything interesting there, we will read out as well. You don't have to have an Apple Podcast account to hear your name on the pod. If you want to submit a question or reach out to us in some way, shape or form, you can give us a tweet at the dive down all one word. You can shoot us an email, the dive down at gmail.com. If you want to support us directly, you can go to patreon.com slash the dive down or check out the store at the dive slash store. Our sponsors, we have a lot of good ones. Heavyplay.com. You can go get some incredible deck and dice boxes, play mats, all featuring the Equipmag system. Using code the Dive Down 2023 gets you 10% off your order there. Uh, Mana Traders sponsors the Dive Down. You get two months off of, excuse me, you get 10% off of your first two months using promo code the Dive Down 23. And you can get some amazing shaving soaps, body soaps, fragrances, and more at Barrister and Man using that same code, the Dive Down 23, for 15% off your first order. And of course, Nerve Rage Gaming gives our listeners 8% off their order using code Dive8. As always, thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and eat some beans.
How many more beans do you want me to put in the show it's, notes? It's amazing. How many do we have? <laughs> just two so oh, you far. Just, you just keep moving just the bean. Two. He makes okay. them bigger and smaller, too. It's too, too free. Too free for the bean. I gotta tell you, if you ever want a secret recipe for chili, put baked beans in your chili. Mm. Just saying. It's amazing. Good. It's amazing. 